1: Uh, it's going to be six, about six weeks in length. And uh, if you can hunker back, those of you who remember the 90s, uh, you remember these things called VHS, uh, VCR tapes. Um, some of you are maybe too to remember those. But uh, we're going to be um, doing a new series called Be Kind, Please Re. And if you remember those tapes used to say, please rewind. We're going to look at a number of rewords in Scripture. Um, and the basic theme of this entire series is it's all about restoration and jesus has a purpose and a plan to bring about restoration in our lives and so we're going to be looking at a number of different themes in scripture that are going to be talking about restoration and essentially we want to say this be kind to yourself and the best way you can be kind to yourself is to join with jesus to partner with jesus in his restoration vision for your lives so that's going to be starting next week and uh, we're looking forward to that teaching series together hey this morning i'm uh, i'm excited to introduce our guest speaker uh, he is the lead pastor, the senior pastor at Sherwood Park Alliance Church, and uh, that's just, uh, you know, uh, a stone's throw away from here now. It's like seven, eight minutes away, really, Well, Depends who's driving. And, uh, and it, they are a sister church that has just come alongside us over our history at Cross Point to um, provide assistance, to provide uh, uh, help, to, to give us encouragement. They actually played a significant role in helping us uh, find our way into this space as well. And uh, we are just so blessed to be in this partnership together with them. So uh, we're excited to have their lead pastor, Greg Holhalter, this morning come and speak to us. He shouldn't be, uh, if you've been with Crosspoint before, he spoke uh, with us last year. Uh, if you're part of the, the former Beverly community as well, you would know Greg as well. So I'm just so excited to have him here this morning uh, speaking and sharing with us. We need to give him an official Crosspoint welcome. So if you're new at Crosspoint, you've maybe never given an official Crosspoint welcome to a guest speaker as he comes. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so as he comes, we'll do that. And basically, it's our way of saying we love you, thank you for being here, thank you for serving us, and please be embarrassed. So um, let's welcome Greg Holhalter as he comes and speaks this morning.
2: a few months ago i know the drill on that one so i cannot wait you i know that's part of the whole thing um listen it is really fun uh, for me to be able to be here and like rob said um, uh, i have been watching we have been watching as a congregation as a staff team as elders the story the evolving story of both Cross Point and beverly and this thing that um, god has brought together uh, listen i know it's complicated it's weird it's odd some of you from both congregations I recognize some of you from our congregation <laughs> there's, a, there's a hodgepodge of folks here but I think God is doing something really cool here and I'm, I'm loving uh, being able to uh, watch and cheer on and uh, the treat that it is for me to be here uh, is really fun so I, I, d- I should have looked it up uh, but last year somewhere in late spring or late winter, early spring uh, I, sp- I spoke one weekend here at the Beverly congregation so this is a familiar feeling to me to be here, but I also had a chance to be at Crosspoint, I think two or three weeks before your final service in the community center, I think I was there too. And so again, just to come back and and check in and and be with you uh, is a real treat. And it's always fun to be around uh, my friend Rob too. Um, Guest speakers always come in and kind of love on the lead pastor and say that's like the comedian, if you've ever been to a comedy club, they always compliment the last comic, you know, that's kind of part of the shtick. And so I'm going to compliment my friend Rob for a second, but this is not shtick. Uh, This is sincere. Your pastor here is deeply respected by me and by his colleagues around the Western Canadian District of the CNMA and further beyond that, even across the city. Rob is very well known and respected for his vision, for his passion for Christ, and for his great uh, leadership in this church. And so I'm grateful to be with you, Rob, always. uh, I consider that. Yeah, so give that for him. Um, the message I want to share this morning um, uh, has a bit of a, maybe more of a prophetic edge to it than you might normally expect from a, a guest. And what I mean by that, it's, it's a, a little, it's a bit of a poke, and I just want you to know that as uh, I share this message, uh, I chose it specifically because I think it fits well with kind of where you're at and where we're at in culture, but I want you to know that as I uh, give this message this morning i submit myself to the same authority of scripture that i'm going to proclaim so i am in effect uh, speaking to myself even as i speak to you so you're you're doing me this great gift this favor uh, to let me bring the word this morning uh, just know that i bring it humbly and uh, i ask that god would convict me uh, along the way as well so can i pray and let's ask uh, god's blessing on, on the next few minutes so heavenly father we um, We have this great respect for the authority of your word and for um, the way that it challenges us sometimes. And this is one of those times where we submit ourselves to a text that's going to maybe get in our dish just a little bit. So I pray, God, that you would use this uh, message here to um, correct or prevent and and convict and challenge. And uh, pray that for myself. I want to begin by showing you uh, a couple of pictures. I want to show you a picture of a classic car. I've, uh, uh, if I was ever inflicted or afflicted with enough affluence to afford a classic car, I know very uh, quickly what I would get. Um, I come from a Ford family. A lot of you, like your parents, whatever you were, either a Ford family or a Chevy family, or th- that's been going on for a long time. Well, we were a Ford family, uh, just that's just the way it was. And so, I've always leaned towards Fords, and if I could have a classic car, I would get a 1966 Ford Mustang. I've always thought if I could have a classic hot rod, it's what I would get. Uh, here's what I would buy, a 66 Mustang Fastback 289 V8, red in color, right? Pretty nice car. Um, part of the reason I always choose a 66 Mustang is that I was born in 1966. So do the math, 52 years old. Uh, that's the car that uh, I would love. Now, I want to show you uh, another car in a second. This car, obviously, is as beautiful today as it was when it rolled off the assembly line. Here's another 66 Mustang that does not look nearly as good. Uh, This one is a hunk of junk. It's rusted. It's dented. It's in complete disrepair. Now, here's the question I want to ask at the start. Ready? Here it is. How do two vehicles of the exact same vintage vehicles identical in every way one is in perfect condition one is a hunk of junk at a base level how does one vehicle end up looking like this one and the former after 52 years end up looking so great I want to tell you how I believe it happens whoever owned the rusted out Mustang that's on the screen right now made a series of unwise decisions it wasn't one decision that ended up with this car ending up in that bad of shape. It was a series of decisions. The first one might have been just ignoring routine maintenance, maybe stopping the oil changes or not fixing the brakes. And then maybe a windshield got cracked, and then some piece of the armrest or something fell off, and it was ignored. and, And then maybe it was left outside for a couple of winters, and then rust started to appear. And eventually, some owner of this car just let her go, just really caring for it. See, it wasn't one big decision that led to its deterioration. A series of little decisions caused its demise. Back to the first picture. The owners of this car, though, made a series of good decisions. Decisions about maintenance. When interior parts started to go, they were replaced and fixed up. When the paint began to fade, clearly that's been painted, but at some point that that whole paint job was sanded down and restored and and brought back to its original loss. The reason a car can look this good more than 50 years after it was assembled doesn't come down to a single wise choice, but a series of wise choices over time. One of the things I love about the Bible, in addition to what it reveals about God and Jesus, the person of Jesus, is how much wisdom is contained in it. And I believe that the way of wisdom, which is the title of this message, the way of wisdom can be discerned almost always through the power of a single question. A single question. It's a question which has the uh, the power and the potential to set you up for massive wins. As well as potential to seriously reduce regret if there's a big idea if you will for this message it's that so much of the Bible's wisdom can be discerned and attained through this single question and the question is it's not that really but it's powerful the question is what's the wise thing to do what's the wise you from your greatest regret if you were somehow able to go back in time and superimpose this question onto your previous self at that moment of critical decision-making you might not be carrying around some regret that you carry to this day what's the wise thing to do is a powerful powerful question. if you're familiar with the Bible a little bit you may know that there's this whole category biblical literature called the wisdom literature and usually when we're talking about the wisdom literature of scripture we're referencing uh, uh, chunks of the Old Testament the Jewish scriptures uh, Job uh, Proverbs Song of Songs Ecclesiastes a lot of the Psalms uh, that's all wisdom literature I'm not going there in this message I'm not going to go there at all uh, in fact I'm going to base this whole message on, on just three verses from the New Testament going to look at some words from the Apostle Paul, which are not usually categorized as wisdom literature, but he makes this really cool statement in Ephesians chapter 5 about the importance of wisdom, and I'll read that for you in just a second. But a couple things about the Apostle Paul. Uh, In Christian circles, of course, he's a famous guy, but not everybody knows about him, so let me just give you a little background. Uh, When we first encounter Paul in the biblical record, he is not a Jesus follower. In fact, he's the opposite of a Jesus follower. Paul spends a chunk of his adult life actually trying to snuff out this Christian movement, the Jesus movement. He thinks it's kind of a cult, and he thinks it's a threat to the status quo, and so he makes it his mission for a portion of his life to try to end Christianity. He tries to get rid of Christianity and to rid the world of Christians, little Christ, Christ followers. See, Paul is part of that little group that gathers up Christians, Jesus followers, and he beats they beat them they sometimes jail them sometimes even execute them that's the kind of guy we're talking about but Paul has this profound conversion experience that you can read about on your own if you want to it's so profound and so powerful that he becomes a Jesus follower like almost overnight literally in a matter of hours he goes from trying to kill Christians to becoming one like that's how fast it happens and as soon as Paul becomes a Jesus person He leaves behind significant wealth. He leaves behind his family, his childhood belief system to do one of the most dangerous things a person can do in his day, which is to get on rickety boats and travel around the Mediterranean and stopping at these little ports and begin to proclaim Jesus in these cities. And he goes into the synagogues and he tries to convince the Jewish people that are there that they missed the Son of God, the Messiah Jesus, which most of the time gets him thrown out of the synagogues. And then he goes to Gentiles, non-Jews. Paul goes to Gentiles in the first century, and he tries to convince them that God sent a Jew to be the Savior of the world. That's what he tries to do, which basically gets him stoned, and he's almost killed multiple times. He's imprisoned. He causes riots. He's shipwrecked. Nearly every place Paul goes, he causes problems. He stirs up all kinds of trouble. Now, the reason I give you that backstory is because nobody... Why do so many people believe his message? It's because of the credibility that comes from what he did. That's partly why we believe in him and why we follow him so closely. I, I tell you all that because this message will be useful for you even if you're not necessarily a Jesus follower yet. Maybe you, if you doubt the Bible, I think this will still be helpful to you. You do not have to be a committed Christ follower to benefit from the wisdom of a man who did all that he did and then wrote a bunch of stuff down to 25 years after Jesus walked the earth. He was taught, discipled, brought up in the faith by some of Jesus' closest friends. And one of the wisest things he ever says about this topic is in Ephesians 5, three verses, four sentences, if taken seriously, can be game-changing. 38 words. A little bit more context. This is from a letter written to a bunch of churches, it's called Ephesians, because its original audience was a group of Christians, a church in the city of Ephesus, and we know it was those circulated all around to a number of places in the ancient world, to other churches that Paul established, and the letter is super instructive, it's some of Paul's most direct teaching about how to live uh, well and how to live wisely. Ephesus is a coastal city in modern-day Turkey, and if you're tempted to think, well, what does a, a, a modern-day or an old ancient city on the edge of what is now Turkey have in common with Edmonton, actually lots. Uh, historically, it's a lot like Edmonton. It's fast-paced, people are busy, their hockey team stinks, their lives are cluttered, uh, sexual pleasures are very available, economic pressures are real, people are stressed, so it's a lot like us. And so Paul challenges these believers in Ephesus to live differently than others in the city. He says, you should be distinct. You should be sort of different from everybody else. He, he writes this letter saying, hey, Christ followers, you should live a different life, embrace a different lifestyle. And in the part of his letter that we're going to read, Paul says, listen, I know what I'm asking you to do is out of the ordinary. It's hard to live like I'm suggesting that you live. So listen, I'm going to give you a big step give you a baby step, or one simple step, one simple thing that you can do that will get you going in the right direction. One way to begin living as somebody who's a citizen of God's kingdom. Here's what he says. So, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act Understand what the Lord wants you to do. So be careful how you live. Don't live as fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What I want to do is just go back. When you see that there, uh, what you're reading, what we're all reading, is a modern translation of the original Greek. A better, more literal translation would be uh, for the word "live" would be "walk." And if you're ever like me, when a pastor says a more literal translation, a better translation, you might be tempted to say, "Well, why don't you? Use, why didn't they use the better, more literal translation?" Then, well. Uh, Part of the reason is this is from the New Living Translation. That's what I'm using today. I fluctuate back and forth a little bit when I teach between the NIV, New International, and the New Living Translation. I like these translations because their emphasis is on modern-day vernacular, trying to make things easier to understand. The Old King James Version of the Bible, though, actually gets this one more literal. It's a more difficult translation in that it doesn't kind of pay attention to modern language, but it is sometimes... More literal in its translation, in the King James version, this verse goes like this: "See that ye walk circumspectly." (laughs) Isn't that great? See that ye walk circumspectly. Uh, In the Bible, your walk quite often when it uses that word translated into English "walk," it's describing your day-to-day, moment-by-moment life, your way of living. "Circum" means circle, "spect" means looking. To walk circumspectly is to look at every part of your life, to pay attention to what you're doing and what's going on around you. Now, going back to the translation that we have on the screen, the NLT, the walking translation, very much brings to mind uh, what it's like to walk around outside today, right? Uh, I didn't walk the parking lot extensively out here this morning. I got here early enough to get a close spot, but I'll tell you what, right now, the parking lot at the church I serve is one of the most dangerous places to walk right now. Uh, And I'm not joking about this, like we have had multiple falls in the last couple of years. Um, About this time a year, two years ago, uh, a bus driver who was dropping off some kids in our parking lot, slipped on the ice, fractured her skull in two places. Brutal, brutal, Mm. I was there right after it happened. Uh, My doctor is a good friend not long ago, he was just taking his garbage out about this time of year, and he lived a little bit rarely, kind of a long driveway. He was ju- He's a fit, athletic, young guy, and he was just taking his garbage cart out to the curb, turned, slipped, fell, dislocated his ankle, came up looking, it's like turning the backwards way, sorry to gross you out. But my doctor had to crawl up his driveway about, you know, 20, 30, 40 meters to get back into the house to call 911. He was alone. Now, it's dangerous out there right now right now, at this time of year, if we're not, we should be walking very carefully, because it is absolutely slick. In the summertime, we walked around without even thinking, right? We just kind of just walk, we don't pay that much attention, but in the wintertime, we got to be very careful in this climate. Paul says, that's the way you ought to live your life. Like, look down, look around, look behind, look ahead, pay attention, be very careful, don't live your life that wise. To be unwise is to pay no attention. Do whatever, with, whomever, wherever, whenever, don't worry about the circumstances. Paul says, that's not wise. Then Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. This is a statement about time. Paul's very conscious about time. Paul says, I want you to take advantage of every opportunity, specifically redeem the time have a limited amount of time the most precious thing you have is your time the most irreplaceable asset that you and i have is our time so be careful paul says how you live it you want to be wise be careful look around look ahead look behind and make good use of your time i've heard this verse before i'm sure i heard this verse when i was younger and when i was younger uh, a comment like hey redeem the time pay attention to the time didn't impact me the way it does 52 years old, that <laughs> some of you in the room, there's a couple of you older than 52, or at least my age, and we know, look around, those of us who are old enough to know, we realize that paying attention to the time, redeeming the time, it is not a cliche anymore, right? You reach a certain age, and all of a sudden, we are very aware of how fast time is going, how quickly it moves. It is not, time flies, it's not a cliche anymore. Then he says something that ought to grab your attention. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. In these evil days. Now, that is a little bit of a head-scratcher. What does that mean, in these evil days? Well, I did some digging around on that one, and the best description that I could find on what's going on here, this is not original with me, Paul is basically saying, you live in you just go with the flow of culture around you, you may end up in a bad place. It's not that complicated. If you go with the flow of culture financially, you may very well look back one day and say, this is not where I wanted to end up. If you go with the flow of culture relationally, you may end up in a place that you don't want to be relationally. It's just a basic reminder not to merely go with the flow because there's a place that you don't want to be. So a wise person makes the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And then Paul makes a statement that's specifically for Christ followers. If you're not a Jesus follower, yet, yeah, that's fine. I hope you're in process, but there's still wisdom for you in this next part, though I don't think it's as binding to you as it is to Christ followers currently. It's this. Understand what the Lord has Stand what the Lord wants you to do. This is basically Paul's way of saying, come on. Come on, man. You know, in most situations, like, you know, there's probably a right or more appropriate, uh, there's likely a right way and a wrong way. If you're going to walk circumspectly, if you're going to walk carefully, if you're going to pay attention to the flow of culture, you know that in." In most situations, there's a, a God's way and there's a not God's way. So play games. Stop talking yourself into things you know you should be talking yourself out of, and stop talking yourself out of things you know you should be talking yourself into. There's lots of guidance in God's will, God's best, God's wisdom. You know it's there, you know it's available, and you probably already know what it is. That's what Paul said. So that's the short little excerpt from Paul's letter. I want to leave you here thinking about that. Just, I hope I've sort of planted it in your brain a little bit. Be careful how you live. Be very careful. Don't live like a foolish person. Live like a wise person. The best way to determine uh, the next course of action is not to just follow what everybody else is doing. The kind of questions foolish people ask go like this. What is everybody else doing? What did I do last time? What can I get away with? That's a do here for just a few more minutes is to have you consider this question in uh, some different ways, three different ways specifically. I'm going to nuance the question a little bit, and this is my attempt to apply this a little bit more deeply, plant it a little bit deeply, and make this useful for you. So we have this big question, this this broad general question, what's the wise thing to do, but now let me give you three, like, sub-questions to the big question. You follow me? little bit. And uh, if you are a note taker, this is the part that you might want to write something down here because this is kind of putting it on the bottom shelf. So here we go. Based on experience, what's the wise thing to do? I'm just going to add a a preface to the question three times. Based on experience, what's the wise thing to do? My life is different than yours. Uh, Your past. Uh, thinking uh, and talking about right and wrong all the time. When it comes to wisdom, um, wisdom is not so much usually like a coin, like a, a side, B side. It's more like a diamond. It's got facets and you got to hold it up and examine it a little bit. Uh, so what I'm suggesting here with this, uh, you know, what's on based on past experience is to as you get to different choice points in your life to think back to your own experience, what does your experience, how does your experience inform decision So, what happened the last time you went out with that group of friends? What happened when you were with them before? What happened the last time you decided to spend the night? What happened the last time you decided to critique your grown child's parenting? How'd that go for you? Did that go well? What happened the last time you lied about where you? stuff based on life experience what's the wise thing if you ever find yourself wondering why history keeps repeating yourself why history keeps repeating itself financially or relationally it could be that you're not asking this question if you think you can do the same thing you've always done and end up with a different result somehow history to stop repeating itself, ask this question, and then act on it. So that's the first nuance here. Based on past experience, what's the wise thing to do? Like we see this one coming down 50th Street here. Based on current reality, what's the wise thing to do? Based on current reality, what's the wise thing to do? Uh, recently, I was in Vancouver with a group of Alberta pastors, one of whom a lot of you know very well. Pastures. we were doing a thing in Vancouver, and on the day we were we were supposed to fly home on a particular, I think it was, it was a Thursday, um, we were all flying home that night, and my friend, your friend, some of you, uh, he decided he had planned to stay an extra night because he has a uh, daughter-in-law, a uh, daughter and son-in-law in, in I don't know, son and daughter-in-law in the lower mainland. He was going to spend the night and hang out with them a little bit, and while we were a couple hours before we were going to the airport, he got a call from a friend here in Edmonton inviting him to do this really, really, really cool and expensive, unique thing. Like He said, I got an offer for you that's amazing. And my friend, your friend went, oh, man, that's just, uh, I'm not going to tell you what it was because it will likely uh, reveal who it was that made the offer, and it's not my story to tell. But he had this amazing uh, experience placed before him an expensive experience something that not very many people get to do especially not very many pastors get to do and i could see the wheels turning in his brain oh i could i could see he was thinking i could change my flight i could get uh, yeah i could actually get home in time to do this i could really i could cut my visit short and come back another time okay so here's how this works based on current reality what was the wise thing for him to do current reality doesn't get to spend very much time with his adult children, and any time he gets to spend with his adult kids is a rare gift. This is how wisdom works. Based on current reality, your current situation, what's the wise thing to do? He stayed, by know and hung out with his kids. What's the way of wisdom when your friends beg you to call in sick to work and go skiing when you just started that job two or three? What's the way of wisdom when there's snow to be shoveled and you are just recovering from surgery or something else? What's the way of wisdom when your college friends ask you to go away for the weekend and you've been married for like four weeks? What's the way of wisdom when you're tempted to start dating and you're only weeks removed from a divorce or significant breakup? Is that the time to join the harmony or download the Tinder app? This is insane. It wasn't long ago. Spent a whole bunch of money on a trip to the UK and Spain as part of your sabbatical, and you paid off an unexpected five thousand dollar bill that came your way just before Christmas. Eighteen months ago, you did a kitchen renovation and painted your whole house. Is this the best time to upgrade your motorcycle? That was for me, for my wife, who's down here. That was that was the start. Okay. In light of what's going on right now, what's the wise thing to do? In light of what's going on right now, what's the wise thing to do? See how a question like that brings clarity. And then there's one final, nuanced way to ask this question It may be the most powerful, dynamic way of asking the question. It goes like this, based on future aspirations, what's the wise thing to do? There are more adults in the room, middle-aged adults on up, than there are teenagers and young adults, but there's a few of you, which means this room is Filled with people who at some point threw away a future aspiration. Some of us, a lot of us, have tragically traded in tomorrow for something today. And we regret it. We do. It is always a bad idea to trade in what you want in the future for something you want now that you're not gonna want later. Can I say that one more time? It is always a bad idea to trade in what you want in the future for something you want now that you're not even going to want later. So this nuanced way of asking the basic question, the wisdom question, that right there has the power to change the trajectory of your whole life. In light of my future hopes and dreams and goals and aspirations, what is the wise thing they live for the present they live for the now a lot of you have friends that you know that just their basic deal is when's payday that's that's what they live for when can i get more money but you probably if you're here in a place like this you probably have some aspirations and i hope you have some vision for your life the worst thing you can do is allow the people around you to take your future away from you by locking you into with him or her, you want to stay connected to him or her, you have some dream about where you'd like to end up financially or professionally, then that should determine largely what you do today based on my future dreams and aspirations, what's the wise thing? That is such a better question than, you know, can I get away f- with it or is it legal? It's not, that's not a great basis to make a decision, is it legal? So here's the bottom line on this one. Some kind of aspiration is oftentimes, usually, quite regularly, the catalyst for wise decisions, which is why resolutions are good. New resolutions are great, goals are great, visions are, it's a great thing to write things down and think about the future, uh, because making wise decisions today based on future aspirations more time, based on experience, based on current reality, based on future aspirations, what's the wise thing to do? If you can lock that question in to your brain and have it at the front of your mind, it is absolutely a game changer. Here's why this is um, so passionate for me, and why I really chose to share this message, and why I just keep coming back to it personally. I've alluded to the fact that I'm been doing this pastor thing for over 30 years. And like most people who are in the helping professions, who've been doing it for a long time, uh, we all have our stories. I have so many stories now of people who come to my office and sit in my office and tell me these horrible stories of how they just, uh, the stories that I The first person to come in here and tell me this kind of story. Here's what I've learned after doing this for a long time. Nobody ever plans to screw up their lives. Nobody plans to make a mess of things. People, I, nobody does that. I'm totally convinced of that. Nobody gets married anticipating a second marriage. I've never had a couple, I've never done a wedding. I don't know if you have, Rob, where you you've done a wedding and Couple as they stand there getting married are already thinking about the next spouse down the road. Nobody goes to a financial planner and says, "Hey, can you put me on the path to bankruptcy? I'd like some help with that." Nobody does that. Nobody sets out to wreck their body or their health or hasten disease and breakdown. Nobody does. That. Think back to that restored Mustang we had on the screen at the start of the message. Everybody I meet, everybody I talk wants to end up looking like that metaphorically but some of them a lot of them once they start talking to me in my office look like the junker and it's rarely because they made one big bad decision it's almost always the result of a series of unwise Somehow make that question instinctive at moments of decision making at critical choice points. You, really know what to do. you will find clarity. You'll have less tears. You'll have fewer regrets. So, if you will allow a guest speaker to assign homework, uh, here's your homework. It's it's really simple. My challenge to you: don't here today thinking that because of what you heard you must go and change something. Don't panic here. All I'm asking you to do for the next seven days is to ask the question. Ask the question. In every situation, what's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Ask it at home. Ask it when you pull out of the parking lot here just a little while. What's the wise thing to do? Wh- ask the question and then listen. Listen to your gut. Listen to your spirit. Listen to your not suggesting that you have to break up with somebody or quit your job or move to another city. I'm just urging you to ask the question and see what happens. You owe it to yourself to ask the question and find the answer. I hope, and pray that you do. Hopefully, so. Let me pray one more time. Here so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words of wisdom from the Apostle Paul. I thank you for his life now serves as an example to countless millions, billions over the centuries, who've sought to follow his leading, to live a wise, Christ-yielded following life. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, because uh, in a room with this number of people in it, over the next, literally, hours, there will be hundreds of decisions made, and over the course of the next week, thousands and thousands of decisions made, little ones. Question: What's the wise thing to do? To keep us out of some ditches and ruts, and keep us on a path to wholeness and health and healing principles. and Because we make wise decisions more and more, the character of Christ be born us. So I pray blessing on this congregation.